Welcome to the Birth Lounge Podcast, an empowering space for expecting and new parents to hear candid conversations with experts, support your mental health, and learn the tips and tricks that thousands of parents have used to craft their ideal birth. We will answer all of your questions, the scary ones and the weird ones, to help calm your fears and feel confident going into your birth. I'm going to help you redefine what birth and motherhood looks like and how to embrace your journey. I've intentionally crafted an amazing list of experts to help you navigate pregnancy, explore your birth options, and plan for postpartum so it can be a time of soaking in your tiny human. We're going to go there on all the hard topics so that you can dive into finding your confidence and freeing yourself from fears around childbirth. With almost 10 years of experience in family education and a master's degree in human development and family studies, I created this podcast as a way to share information so parents can make educated and informed decisions about their care during pregnancy and childbirth. This is a birth community driven by evidence-based information and research in hopes to help you explore your options, understand your rights, and know what choices you have along the way. I'm your host, Hee Hee. Now let's get to the good stuff. Hello and welcome back to another episode of the Birth Lounge Podcast. Today's episode is actually a part two. So if you have not listened to last week's episode, please go back and do that. This part is going to build on what we discussed last week. I'm so, so excited to have Dr. Q, pelvic floor physical therapist, back on the show this week. Now, last week, we talked about the different types of pain, how we qualify or quantify pain, and how this perception of pain in your brain is going to impact labor, especially in terms of that fear-pain-tension cycle. This week, we're actually covering how your perception of pain can lead you to a less painful birth. We're going to be diving into how... The, the way that someone manages pain is actually going to impact their labor experience. We also talk about clenching in labor, which is something that so many people do. How do you not clench? How do you recognize when you are clenching? How do you recognize situations that make your body more tense? And then how do you override that? We're also discussing medications, how they impact your pelvic floor physical performance during labor, if you will, but also how those are going to impact your pain perception, whether it be pain relief medications or labor augmentation medications. Finally, Dr. Q is going to talk us through a lot of pivots that you may come across in labor. I promise you, this is not an episode that you want to miss. But before, let me remind you, this is part two. So please, please, please go back to part one so that you can have the foundation to listen in on today's conversation. All right, without further ado, Dr. Q, welcome back to the show. Hi, thanks for having me. Happy to be back. I'm so excited to continue to dig into what we talked about last week, which if you didn't catch last week's episode, 
go back before you listen to this because we lay out pain perception, how it impacts your pelvic floor, how that impacts your labor. And Dr. Q tells you how you can actually have a less painful birth. So um, before you come to today's episode, I think that last episode might be really foundational for you to hear before today. So Dr. Q, let's pick up kind of right where we left off. We had talked about, you know, the perception of pain and how we can have a less painful birth. But something that our team notices is the way that someone not only perceives pain, of course, but manages that pain, it's going to impact their labor. Can you talk to us a little bit about that and maybe how the pelvic floor has a role in that or vice versa, how that has an impact on your pelvic floor? Yeah. So, you know, we talked a lot last week about how expectations, I'm a big fan of these lists that have the same letter. So <laughs> I realized that there are three E's that affect pain and it's your expectation, your experience and your, your previous experiences um, and your environment. And so mm. we talked a lot about the pain experience and how, of course, contractions hurt. And of course, labor is going to be intensely challenging on a physical level, but because your brain is in charge of your nervous system and your nervous system is responsible for sending out the appropriate response we cannot talk about managing labor pain without talking about nervous system regulation. And the whole therapeutic approach is to gradually make something that was scary, less scary, right? Or less painful and less threatening. And so that's kind of where the science is super helpful for somebody to understand how I naturally handle pain in my day-to-day -day life. Or if I have really bad symptoms already, specifically in the pelvis that's affecting my pelvic floor, is that going to carry over into labor? Because this is a different type of sensation than anything else, especially if it's the first time I'm doing it, right? The first time I'm experiencing birth or physiologic labor. And so when we talked about the fear, pain, tension cycle, the role that the pelvic floor muscles have is that they're part of that response from the brain that triggers a guarding mechanism or a bracing mechanism where everything kind of gets tense. And so when there's tension in the pelvic floor, uh, over time, right, not just in labor or in the presence of pain, but you can have tension in the muscles because of pain elsewhere in the body. You could have a headache and be clenching your pelvic floor, right? You could have ankle pain and be clenching your jaw. And so there's a, a constant just need for the brain to be on alert for these things. And if you're not aware of that in your body as is, it's going to be even more challenging to figure out how to break that cycle in labor because there's so many other things going on, right? And so when we talk about preparing for birth, it's not only learning, you know, the positions to use and the comfort measures, because those are all great, but knowing and understanding what your nervous system responds to and what your body is most receptive to is going to help reduce the amount of anxiousness and fear around, is it going to hurt? And is it going to be that bad? Um, do I need the epidural? Should I consider getting the drugs or should I, you know, what do I do? Should I stay at home as long as possible? Right. All of those things are very valid questions and there's no right or wrong answer. It goes back to, well, let's first understand what's happening. And then after you understand what's happening, then think about what questions you have. Right. Cause even just the process of you know, the detective work of figuring out like what hurts, why, right? What muscles tense, what muscles, you know, working too hard, what joint is too tight, 
right? And how can we facilitate all of those tissues and structures working properly so that there's less pain? And the therapeutic approach is that it's to, it's to kind of sift through all the things that are contributing to the symptoms um, anatomically, but also when it comes to prepping for birth, psychologically and emotionally. Okay, so there are, I think, two different types of people. There are people who want meds and don't want meds. So how does this mm -hmm. kind of play into this? And there are, there are also, I, I would actually say the larger number of people. Um, they're in the middle, right? Yeah, they're, they're in the like, middle of like, I, exactly. I want to go unmedicated or I'm hoping for unmedicated, but I'm open exactly. to the epidural. But at the end of the day, I, I guess we have like, we have two groups. So you might sometimes have, or I guess you will have to choose at some yeah. point in labor. We can't have both. You will either be unmedicated or be medicated. How does this play into things, that perception of pain, the pelvic floor? Do we need to prepare differently if we're doing, yeah. if we're planning on one over the other? How does all of that right. intertwine? So I am not anti-epidurals. Uh, I think no. epidurals are perfect for certain people. And mm -hmm. I think it is a very noble goal to not want to get an epidural because there are also side effects. Because at the end of the day, an epidural is a cocktail of pain medications, right? Yeah. And so you can't introduce something into your body without expecting some kind of other Result. effects. Yeah. And some of those results are really great for people. And so the way that I educate people either in my birth class or in therapy is, you know, when we're doing pelvic floor training and talking about, you see when you hold your breath or you see when you clench your jaw, your pelvic floor kind of tenses up immediately. Or do you see how when you're in this position, it's a little easier to feel that relaxation because your hips are in an alignment that's more comfortable for you, right? I, I kind of, I try to break the, break the myths early in that people will pigeonhole themselves, right? Into setting themselves up for a type of experience without understanding physiologically, how do I achieve that. Um, and it's not everybody. So I don't mean to sound like I'm stereotyping people, but there are prototypes of, of patients who, you know, they subscribe to one or the other, because it is a yes or no question. Do you want the epidural or not? Um, but I think the earlier on people decide that before taking either a course or diving into physiologic labor and birth prep is that they mostly look at the negative side effects of the mm. epidural and forget that the whole purpose of the epidural, which is basically a numbing agent, right? It typically numbs people. If it does its job correctly and it works properly, it numbs people from the waist down. And so while there are side effects, there's also this great other consequence where now you don't feel a lot of what you were feeling when you didn't have the drugs, right? If that, if that pain going away or being masked by something like an epidural is enough for you to either get rest, right? Or breathe through your contractions instead of fight them or tense your jaw and clench your pelvic floor every time you feel a contraction coming on, um, then it's probably worth it because what you gain from the epidural is a window where now your nervous system has a chance to help you re-regulate. Now, of course, might not be able to use your legs as much. So you can't use all these beautiful birth positions that might also feel good. But what good are those positions if your nervous system is still not responsive? And so I, I feel like a lot of people who write the epidural off early on are, you know, you, you're kind of doing yourself a disservice because it's, first of all, it's a lot of pressure on yourself to tell yourself, I don't want it. I'm, I'm not going to do it. Um, because now the expectation has changed. 
I don't want to do it. And if I do do it, that's not what I wanted. So that could be perceived as a failure, right? To a lot of people. I've, I've seen that a lot with my postpartum patients. Um, so needing an epidural isn't bad. Wanting an epidural isn't bad. Uh, not having an epidural isn't great either or not 100% good or bad in any, in any respect. But what it comes down to is if the benefits outweigh the side effects or the other consequences, right? It can affect your blood pressure. There's other things that go into an epidural that people don't think about like the catheter, right? You're not gonna have bladder control. So you're gonna have, you don't know what a catheter is. It's a little tube that sits in your urethra and it's constantly draining your bladder into a bag. So, you know, not everybody wants, that's enough for some people to be like, never mind, I don't want it. <laughs> I don't wanna deal with that, right? Because if that fear is enough to make you tense up, right? Then maybe an epidural won't be worth it right? Some people are deadly afraid of needles. So it, it really is, you have to weigh those things, right? Is, is the physical pain going to be the main issue that I have because I already don't like pain at all? Or is it me not being able to move, me not being able to use my own legs and move independently and have to, you know, carry around this IV pole and this catheter bag. And then now I'm just miserable because I can't do what feels comfortable to me that's not great for your nervous system. So yeah, you get the numbing effects, but you're not really getting that letdown of that sympathetic fight or flight response where you're just so uncomfortable and you can't figure it out because now you've removed some of those options. So when it comes to managing pain and really thinking about what are your options? Well, look at those options and think about how you would respond to them in an environment that is different, right? Based on where you plan to give birth, like a hospital or a birthing center. And then kind of have those discussions with your partner, your providers regarding those fears. Because if you are open to an epidural, the worst thing in the world is when they don't tell you that you can't get one anymore because you're already X amount of centimeters or the anesthesiologist clocked out or they can't get here for another hour and you're already this. And right, all those, all those other logistics also add stress. So it's not, I feel like this is why we needed two parts and maybe we even need three. It's not just the pain science. It's not just the medication information. It's not just the environment. You have to roll all those things together and go back to, okay, what does this mean for me and my situation? Because if, you know, this is, I could see people listening to this and just being like, oh my God, I'm already so overwhelmed. I just, I thought I wanted the drugs and now I'm like, I didn't know I needed a catheter, right? And it's okay. Again, if you think about these things before you're in your third trimester, right, and you have an ongoing conversation with your provider and you have a wide network, hopefully you have access to things like pelvic floor therapy, which I know there's not a lot of us, so I get that, um, but also prenatal chiropractors who are specialized in Webster technique. I love sharing patients with them. We help each other out because our main goal is to support your body through this process. And because your body's attached to your brain, <laughs> we're gonna be talking about all the nervous system stuff as well. And it just, it's so much more calming to know that there are people you can ask these questions to um, that maybe have a different perspective than you thought, or that, you know, all your friends, people tend to dump on you when you're pregnant, right? They're like, oh, when I was pregnant, I did it this way. When I gave birth, blah, 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 blah. And you're like, hey, thank you so much, I didn't ask. And now I'm, <laughs> having to Google all these things that you just said, and now I'm overwhelmed. So it really does go back to the education piece and the understanding piece where what does that affect the expectations? And what does that impact the fear? And what is that ultimately going to impact how you, how you perceive and how you process and how you cope with your pain? 
right? Yeah. And so it's very convoluted, but you take all these, all that data and you have to rearrange it in terms of, okay, what am I the most concerned about? And what am I, what am I the most fearful about? And what have I, you know, maybe if it's your second time, even right, you want it to go completely different than the first time, especially if it was traumatic, right? So everybody has to reprioritize everything we just talked about to then kind of give themselves more structure and how to unpack all of this throughout the pregnancy and in preparation for their birth. Yeah. It's like your own, it's, it's your recipe. Like nobody's recipe can be the same as yours because it's as individual as your fingerprint. Okay. Two points I want to like reiterate because I yeah. love that you brought them up. Having that, um, and think about them as a safety net, a net of, of pr- providers and practitioners, the chiropractor, the PFPT, your mental health provider, right. your, um, you know, trainer, your, your athletic trainer, your workout trainer, who is helping you stay active, your nutritionist, your OB, your midwife, your, you know, whoever you are exactly. working with having that network, as you described it, of practitioners that are supporting you. I think that is huge. Um, and then I love the pivots that you brought up, you know, one that you didn't mention that I see not, not just me, my whole team sees, you know, I don't want to say often, but it's not uncommon. I'll leave you with that is epidurals (laughs) that don't work fully. They, they don't give the relief that Mm -hmm. you are hoping for, or that you had envisioned for yourself. And so, um, you know, even if you are planning for an epidural, it's important to plan for all scenarios. It's important to know additional coping strategies. It's important to know, um, you know, how to manage that conversation. Preparing for those pivots is humongous because like you said, we can't, maybe you said it in the first episode, but we can't, we can't predict how birth is going to go, but we can be prepared for many, many scenarios so that in the moment, there's not too much, um, I think, being caught off guard because you had already prepared for this. You already had this conversation. You kind of know what you want. You know what your preferences exactly. are. And in the moment, it's just checking in like, do I still want this? Is this still available? Where are we going from here? Right. One of the easiest ways to reduce fear is just to tell people what to expect. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Like when you, exactly what you said about the epidural is the other side that I give it like it's the same it's the opposite sides of the same coin yeah the benefits have to outweigh the risks to you right and then the effect on your nervous system has to be the priority but if you do get an epidural and it only works on half of your body and the nurse isn't helping you flip or you know there's five other people giving birth at the same time and there's a lot going on and you can't get comfortable because you can't control one of your legs, right? That's more frustrating than anything. Frustration, right? Being annoyed, being agitated, being irritable, um, which already happens in labor a lot of the time because you feel out of control of your body, right? Um, Which is where the whole surrender thing comes in. But when you're frustrated, that feeds into the stress hormones. So now you're going to feed into fight or flight, which is we keep saying that, but I think we should also remind people that you don't need, you should not be in fight or flight when you're giving birth. <laughs> Maybe not till the pushing phase, like second stage, when you need that adrenaline, you need that burst of energy. But when you're laboring actively trying to get the cervix to dilate and the baby to engage in the pelvis, you don't want to be in a stressful state because what about your nervous system is going to go, oh, now's the right time to dilate the uterus and let this baby out when you are, when your nervous system feels like you're being threatened or you're, 
you know, your safety is in danger, the baby's safety is in danger, the, your body's not going to go, yeah, now's a good time. It's going to, it's going to clam up. And so when we talk about the epidural not working or failing, it's a lot less annoying if somebody warned you like, Hey, it's not a perfect system, by the way, you do have to sit still for like 30 to 45 minutes, depending on the skill set of whoever's administering it. Also, it doesn't work for everybody. It work. It may work, work on one side. It may work on um, the, the, the peak of the contractions, but you still feel things. You're, you don't feel nothing. Then you have people who are scared to, to get the epidural because they don't want to feel nothing, but they don't want to be in too much pain. Right. And so there's, there's such a, a unique way to have that conversation without overwhelming people, hopefully, um, that gives them just a broad picture of, okay, now I know what are the benefits, what are the side effects, what does this require, um, how might that look, how might that feel if it works perfectly, how could it not work perfectly, and would that be okay with me? Would I be okay with that or would I just rather, now knowing that information, oh, now I for sure am going to try to not get one at all. Because now that list of side effects and that list of, you know, consequences, I don't want to even deal with that. That would make me more upset. I'd rather just deal with the pain, right? That's great. Now you know that. Now you made that decision on your own because you gathered all the information, right? And I have to um, kind of throw in a little ode to Penny Simkin because Penny Simkin is a birth doula, uh, but she's also a PT. So Penny Simkin wrote the Labor Progress Handbook, and she talks a lot about ways to reduce or minimize dystocia. I'm a fan of the letter lists, right? So when it comes to minimizing dystocia and distress, because Penny Simkin has um, always highlighted the fact that pain and suffering are different things, right? Pain can be physical, it can be emotional, but it's typically an unpleasant sensation, right? Mostly physical, sometimes not always. Um, but suffering is a psychological state. And you can have suffering without any physical pain present. You could have suffering with just emotional pain present. You could have all suffering and no pain at all. And you can have all the pain in the world and not suffer. Like, how does that make sense to some people? Well, it goes back to your nervous system because pain that's predictable, pain that's purposeful, pain that is not, you know, threatening in a sense that something's wrong or damaged. Sometimes we can deal with that like a toothache, right? All right. It sucks, but I guess I got to go call my dentist now. Um, but sometimes the stress of that is going to intensify the pain, right? Like, oh gosh, I need to take off of work. Do I need to get a ride? Am I going to need to go to the pharmacy? I'd be on meds. And so Penny Simkin, uh, her main, what I love about her work the most is that it really gives people tangible ways to think about how they would manage pain, how they would promote oxytocin, which we'll talk about labor physiology soon, but you really do need oxytocin. And I mentioned it earlier, oxytocin is the hormone that is in competition with stress hormones because oxytocin is the love hormone. <laughs> right? That's the hormone that we release when we feel good and comfortable and supported. It's released with melatonin to help us go to sleep. Um, it calms us. It makes us, um, it takes us out of that fight or flight. Um, and the ways to increase oxytocin because oxytocin is what makes your uterus contract, right? That might not increase with the epidural, right? That, that might not change, <laughs> But when it comes to the coping strategies of words of affirmation and maybe listening to, um, you know, a guided meditation or closing your eyes and sitting in the shower for a moment, all of those things kind of overlap so that even if there is pain, that's still there. Maybe it's not an eight out of 10. Maybe not, maybe now it's a five, right? You're less likely to go into distress because the, the definition of distress is just the inability to cope. Nothing works. 
right? Nothing's working. My heart rate's going crazy. My blood pressure, like I can't, I can't center myself. I can't regulate enough for that response to calm down so that I could choose a different path through this pain. And so when we look at distress affecting dystocia, dystocia, right? When labor stalls, there could be multiple things going on medically, first of all. So I'm not saying that this is going to apply to everybody. Some things you can't predict. Sometimes baby's position is off. Sometimes the uterus is fatigued, whatever. There's a lot of things that can, that can happen. But when it comes to the characteristics of the pelvis and the pelvic floor and the ligaments and the joints that have to morph and change to let that baby pass through, a lot of that can be helped with coping strategies. And the coping strategies are usually very simple. Um, they just work differently for everybody. And so it, it, it really comes down to looking at what can cause my oxytocin to decrease, what can cause more suffering and more pain, and what strategies do I have to get recentered? And is that enough? If it's not enough, you need support. And that support can be a partner, that support can be medication, right? It, that support it looks so different for everybody. The underlying goal, though, has to be nervous system regulation so that your muscles can relax and so that you can process. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that we, makes so we much sense. A lot of that from Petty. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Okay. That makes a lot, a lot of sense. And I think that understanding how that pain tension cycle plays into the pelvic floor, how your environment plays into the pelvic floor, how the language that's used in your birth room, the people that are in there, the energies that are present um, or not present can play into that pelvic floor. Can we talk about a little bit more? How can we actually prevent dystocia? How can we get that oxytocin flow? And how can we almost override our nervous system? It's not overriding it. It's just like working with your nervous system, right? Right. Your nervous system wants to keep you safe. That's kind of the point. It it wants to keep you alive. And so we want to just calm your nervous system's nerves almost uh, to help work with your body to bring yourself down. What are some of the tips that you have for our listeners in terms of actually doing that in labor? And I guess you know, if they're different for medicated and unmedicated, can we talk about both? Yeah. So, I mean, I think oxytocin being the love hormone, I I give people a list of cheesy things to even think about, right? Like go stare at, (laughs) stare at the sonogram if you have one, right? Like make that, we talk about focal points, like something that you can just hyper-focus on to kind of talk yourself through, like, I'm going to meet my baby soon. Uh, Talk to the baby. Uh, But it's pretty much think about everything that makes you feel the warm fuzzies and not just from a space of your partner telling you you're doing a good job or that you're so beautiful and you're so strong because you are, Um, but you might be like, okay, I know you're just saying that. So (laughs) try harder, Um, but kind of, I need more. Yeah, kind of thinking about the environment. So setting the environment up. Um, a lot of the greatest L&D nurses I know, they always say they have to set the vibes, right? Dim the lights, reduce the noise. Um, for patients or for uh, people who are giving birth, I'll tell them to bring things from home that either smell like them, bring your own robe, bring your own pillowcase, right? Um, I talk a lot about what hospitals look like and what they're built for. And unless you're a high-risk pregnancy, they're not built for birth. They're built for illness and for emergencies and for trauma, 
And while birth can be medically complex and challenging and traumatic, it doesn't have to be, right? And so shifting the environment so that your nervous has a easier, your nervous system has an easier time shifting out of that fight or flight is one thing. And then you think about the physical component of it, because on one hand, oxytocin is a lot of emotional parts of the, of the pain experience come or will affect oxytocin production. Um, but thinking about the other receptors in our bodies that feed into our brain that can either trick the brain into thinking, oh, that's not so bad right? There's the, scientifically, it's called the gate theory, the gate control theory of pain. It's the same way that the same reason why a TENS unit might work. It just sends a little signal to where the nerves meet the spinal cord. And when your brain picks that up, it kind of thinks, oh, wow, that just feels like tingling, or that just feels like a buzz. It masks the other pain that might be feeding into that same space on the spinal cord, right? And so you're muddying the signal and tricking, or I I like to say sweet talking the brain into (laughs) into believing like, oh, it's not so bad. We'll get through this. It's fine, right? That's why people can train themselves to like swallow swords and like walk on hot coals and stuff, right? Mm-hmm. The brain is so powerful that I'm not saying that's, don't, don't go try that. Um, but there's a reason why some birth educators, right? They make people hold the ice cube until they can't take mm-hmm. it anymore. It's that mind over matter type of concept. And if you realize I can't hold the ice cube, then guess what? You might need some other additional coping strategies, yeah. right? You might need to have a wider safety net that might include some epidural or pain or pain medication. Um, so those are the main things that I want people to think about is tap into your senses, right? Whether that's smell, touch, pressure, temperature, um, adjust the environment if you need to, right? One of the worst things is if you're in pain and you're freezing, right? Like <laughs> You're just shivering. Everything's tense. You can't really relax. Yeah. Um, and you, you don't get good blood flow that way. So even something as simple as jumping in the shower or the tub for a couple minutes, you know, it, it could be great. Um, and then of course, when it comes to then including some of the medication, once there is a shift and maybe the pain does get better, but now are these other, there's the other, these other consequences where you can't move or be as comfortable, or maybe the epidural only worked on one side, you might have to double or triple up on the other coping strategies, like the words of affirmation, like the guided meditation, right? So it, it, you have to be open and adaptable to how even the good things might change the experience. Um, that way you don't run out of options or you don't run out of strategies. Um, and so those are the main things that I, I really do suggest. Um, and then of course, practicing, um, certain, we call them nervous system regulation or vagus nerve stimulation practices, but it's pretty much anything that you would read about how to get yourself to relax, slow your breath rate down, right? Take deep diaphragmatic breaths close your eyes, right? You know, body scan, those kind of things, positive self-talk. What do I feel? Is that okay? I think it's fine, right? Move on, right? Those kind of mind games that you play with yourself um, can can really help. Um, so I think, again, if you think of like a, a, a triangle, like a food pyramid, you have to think about for you, I mean, there's three things to really think about when it comes to pain, the physical part of it, the emotional part of it, and then the medical part of it. And so which of those is most important to you or which of those might be the most challenging for you? So then you can rearrange that triangle at any time and not be disappointed in the experience because you understood why that ha- that change had to happen. So whether you get the epidural or not, I jokingly say with love, I don't care. I don't care if you get it or not. I care that you understood what it meant 
what it involved, what it might feel like, and what you could do about it if it feels like this or like this, right? And that you felt supported in the process of, of deciding whether or not to do that. Yeah. So that's kind of it on epidurals. I mean, then there's Pitocin, which is synthetic, synthetic oxytocin, which that's a different conversation, which I don't know, hopefully you have time for that, but yeah, yeah we should, go let's just go right into oxytocin because it's, you know, oxytocin is a, a natural made hormone. It, it comes straight from our own bodies. We'll never overdose on oxytocin because our bodies are controlling it. it, it it's in, it's in control of what's right. put out and, and what's um, taken back in and how that's metabolized and, and how it's used. But pitocin is a little bit different. It's synthetic. It, it doesn't interact with your brain the same way. Um, one of the things that mm -hmm. irks me the most, I think, is when providers try and sell Pitocin as it's the same thing. It's not. It is different. Um, it is right. metabolizing your body very differently, and it doesn't make it good or bad or right or wrong, but it does make it incorrect if you are trying to um, make them equal and, and make them right. uh, sound like the same thing, patients and, and people who are right. having their babies deserve to know they are different and how they're going to kind of respond and react in our bodies differently due to that difference. Can you talk to us a little bit about that and how it impacts your pelvic floor? Yeah. So with oxytocin being the main hormone responsible for creating and progressing those uterine contractions, uh, when it comes to introducing something like Pitocin, and again, I'm not an obstetrician, so I'm not mm -hmm. saying, right, the disclaimer is sometimes Pitocin saves lives. Totally. But understanding yes. how Pitocin works and whether or not that is something that you want to incorporate in your birth experience is a conversation you have to have with your doctor because Pitocin can be used to augment or help pro progress labor by stimulating the uterus to contract. But like any other intervention, it is not without side effects or consequences. And physiologically, a synthetic hormone, like you just said, right, when we think about how Pitocin is administered, it's through an IV line. So it's straight into your bloodstream. And it is dosed based on the science of pharmaceuticals. It's not the same as how your brain and your hormonal axis, which involves your pituitary, pituitary your thyroid, right? Your adrenal glands, they're all talking to each other, mm -hmm. right? And so when you have endogenous oxytocin circulating in your body, some of that oxytocin has a, it's a neuromodulator, right? It calms, it calms the brain really. Um, and which is twofold, which I'll get to in a second, but basically what that can help with is the suffering, right? If, if you, if you have oxytocin, it's, Yes, it sucks that, it, you know, you're going through a really tough labor and it's a really painful process, but you feel supported. People are, you know, there to help you, you know, the pain isn't too bad. And if it does get bad, they help you change positions, right? There's ways to still feel like, oh, wow, this is so great. I feel so supported. And, and this is, this is a good experience so far. I'm not suffering. I'm not in distress, right? But that calming effect on the brain is not achieved with synthetic oxytocin, which is just circulating, circulating through your blood which means it's going through the placenta. And then that's why it has effects on the baby. And so when we introduce something that not only takes away that neuromodulation and that calming effect on the brain, but now you also lose the way that oxytocin is circulated through the body, which is in waves, right? Our brain and our, our uh, endocrine system doesn't just hopefully just spurt out a bunch of hormones at once, right? Those are disorders, right? You can have hyper, hypo, but in any case, 
there's a there's a method to the madness, if you will. And with oxytocin and labor, it comes in these waves, which is why you start labor with contractions that are further apart that get closer together. You don't get that gradual progression that is, for the most part, I don't want to say predictable in sense of timing, but predictable in sense of the goal is that they get longer and closer together to the point where your cervix is dilated. You don't get that gradual progression with, with uh, Pitocin or Syntocin or whatever they call it, because now it's just all systems go. And, you know, if there is an emergency and there is a medically justifiable reason why the baby needs to be born immediately, then that might be a great thing to have. But if it's just because it's been X amount of hours or days and you're only X amount of centimeters, right, and nothing's progressing, again, going back to what gets in the way, what contributes to dystocia and distress, it's pain, it's suffering, it's nervous system dysregulation. And so if you introduce something that is going to intensify contractions on somebody who's already not managing pain that well, or they're already feeling pretty distressed or anxious or fearful, and they're really tense, it's it's the recipe is now convoluted and it's a recipe for disaster for a lot of people. And statistically, we know that with Pitocin. So again, it's not all bad, but it has very, very well studied side effects and it has very well understood effects on pain. I've had one patient in my career tell me that they had Pitocin, then they didn't have an epidural and still had a vaginal birth. And that patient told me that they regretted it. Um, but they said they were stubborn, right? They took the Bradley method course, they wanted that vaginal birth and they got it, but they had reasons, right? There was meconium in the fluid, all that stuff. So there was reason to do Pitocin and there was reason to give consent, but this was a, a person who, you know, like I, we mentioned in the last episode, when you kind of subscribe already to, I want to have an unmedicated vaginal birth and you don't even look into, well, what does a medicated birth even look like? And how would that go just in case, just in case I might need some help or just in case something goes sideways. Um, and then you, you're just unprepared for that. And so adaptability is important, but open-mindedness is also important. Gather the data. I know it can be scary and overwhelming, but this is the reason everybody is going to have a different recipe. Like, I love that you said that the recipe is very different for everybody. Um, a surgeon that I used to work next door to actually use that same metaphor. He said, you can give five different chefs, the same recipe, the same way you could give five different surgeons, the same surgery or procedure, and you're going to get the same out results. I almost said outcome. The outcomes can be very different. The outcomes are different because maybe these chefs or these surgeons were all trained in different schools. Maybe they predominantly use a certain, a certain tool that was available to them. Maybe they rely on certain techniques right? And so it's for, for better or for worse, that's just the human, that's human design. And so what applies to somebody might not apply to you. So the best, the, the way that I have my patients have this conversation with their providers, especially if they're planning to do a hospital birth, is to ask their doctors um, or midwives, if they're seeing a midwife, when have you in your experience had to use Pitocin for somebody who's low risk like me? And how can, what can I do to avoid needing to rely on that? What can I do now to prepare? What can I do in labor, right? And leave it open-ended because then you see, they kind of fill out themselves, right? If they aren't a provider who understands physiologic labor and understands dystocia and distress and pain physiology and the nervous system and how that affects physiologic labor progress, 
right? They'll out themselves if they're like, oh, we'll, we'll cross that bridge when we get there. Or I only use it in emergencies. Well, can you define emergency? Like, it, and what in my medical history, am I at risk for that? Right. So it's not a yes or no. I do or I don't want that. It's I would like to avoid it or I would like to pursue whatever. But I want to know in your experience, what are the emergencies or, or when do you make that call? It's yeah, you don't want to you don't want to pigeonhole yourself into one type of experience because you'll be sorely disappointed if even the smallest detail of that experience is off because of what you um, of the of the pressure that you, we sometimes put on ourselves. Yeah. You also don't want a provider that uses it in every single birth. So it's also another red flag if they say like, oh, don't worry about Pitocin. Everybody gets it. Okay. Well, everybody right. should not get Pitocin. Our bodies are designed to birth our babies. Um, but look, yeah, like you said, Pitocin is not a bad drug. It's just something that we need to use very intentionally and with reason and in an evidence-based way, which unfortunately is just not how we're being you know, how we're seeing it be used in the hospital. Exactly. And I think a lot of that is, you know, it's nobody's fault necessarily. Um, I put that in air quotes because sometimes it is. Uh, But when it comes to providers in general, I had a very nice conversation with a midwife. She's in Colorado. And she mentioned that, you know, for, for her clients that are completely anti any intervention, she always tells them, no, 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 there's a time and a place. And she was a nurse midwife, right? So she has the nurse background and she's worked in the medical system. Um, but she also understands how that process of giving birth has become over-medicalized and over-industrialized. And so she'll always try to tell people, nobody goes into OB, you know, first of all, to make millions and billions or to have the most glamorous job ever. Like this isn't where the money's at in terms of where physicians practice, right? Also, they have to be on call, right? It's just not, it's, it's, it's a, it's a specialty that not, it's not for everybody. It's, it's a lot of work, but people do it because they want to help people who are giving birth. Not everybody starts off fully, you know, pushing pit on everybody, right? But when the system in place prioritizes efficiency and bed turnover, and the nurses are already short-staffed and, you know, it's just easier to do the continuous monitor because we can hook everybody up and, you know, we don't have to check on you intermittently, right? The, the facility is going to function like it's supposed to, like it was designed to, right? And that was not designed with birth in mind. Birth has evolved so much when we think about where it came from and where it landed um, currently, uh, and then statistically how we're doing with all that. Uh, but for, for the most part, we have to also look at how the hospital system is covering their own liability in a lot of ways um, and how that is at odds with achieving a peaceful vaginal as little trauma as possible birth experience um, in that setting because your priorities and the hospital's priorities are usually not aligned. Um, And then when you have a lack of communication, a lack of education, then you have a lot of fear. And then this feeds all back into the pain. So again, pain is one little pillar of this like triangle. You got to address the fear. You got to address the nerves. You got to have these conversations and you have to understand and kind of be able to read between the lines when you're having these conversations. Um, Because the one thing I didn't mention about oxytocin, I listened to a doula's podcast the other week. Um, Her holistic path is I think the name anyways. Uh, about the endogenous effects of oxytocin and how it actually, because of the calming effects on the brain, 
it makes you less likely to advocate for yourself. And that part blew my mind. I thought I didn't realize like, oh, it's the love hormone. We need it for contractions, but also, oh, you want to do that? Okay. Right. Cause you're just, you know, you're kind of floating and you're too tired to argue. So, okay, that's fine. Right. And that's, that kind of goes back to the fight or flight versus freeze or fawn. Right. We fawn when we have a lot of oxytocin because we do feel kind of supported and, oh yeah, whatever, I'll go with the flow. So, um, you know, just understanding those little bits and pieces and then zooming out and going back to, okay, how am I individually? Cause you got to know yourself. You got to know yourself. Your partner has to know you. Nobody knows you better than you. So it's a lot of work to unpack it, but yes, preparing for birth is so much more than just what we see on Pinterest and even from, you know, social media on, with pelvic floor therapy. It's a lot of it. Yes. is the pelvic floor muscles, but I, I usually give this image um, when I do workshops and birth prep where there's a little, I love Venn diagrams and it's the triangle one and pelvic floor muscles need strength and or strength and endurance, but they also need flexibility and length. And then they need timing and coordination. And then where they all overlap, where you might have two, but not the other, I give the symptoms, the common symptoms, right? So if you have um, strength and timing and coordination, but you have no flexibility, meaning the muscles can't stretch, you might have incomplete voiding or mm. straining on the toilet or pain with tampons or intercourse, penetrative intercourse, right? If you have too much um, length and maybe you have a little bit of strength and endurance, but you have no timing or coordination, you could still very much have stress incontinence, you know, mm. le- leaking when you cough or sneeze or exercise. And that's more of a coordination issue for some people. But then I take that same image and then I shrink it down into another slide. And then I put all these things around it in terms of what affects those three things. And a lot of those things are your diet, right? Your bowel routine, your stress levels, your sleep hygiene, right? Your range of motion, your posture, your postural habits, right? There's so many things, your surgical history, right? Um, Any history of any other pain or experiences with pain, uh, constipation, right? All of those things affect those three components of good pelvic floor function. And so even though you do, you can learn how to push, you can go through the positions, hire the doula, do all the things. The, the value of a pelvic floor therapist is that it goes back to kegels aren't for everybody. And that's why not everybody's starting at the same area of, oh, I, I, I actually need more strength and, and endurance. This person needs more coordination and timing both of these people need both of these things, but neither of them have the length. They don't have flexible muscles. Their muscles are tense all the time. So we need to work on that first. And maybe if their muscles are tense because they have a hip issue or a spine issue that has gone unaddressed, maybe they need to see a chiropractor. Maybe they need therapy for that. So there's a lot of contributing factors that you can also make a positive impact on that will improve pelvic floor function. And sometimes just by doing that, that eases a little bit of the guessing in terms of, well, how do I not tear so severely during birth, right? That's one component of it. Um, But I always say, I could teach you the pushing and the birth positions and all of that in under 10 minutes, because I've done it so often. What we really need to talk about is, are you even going to be able to use these strategies in the environment you plan to give birth in? If you've never thought about pain, pain management options, what the hospital facility looks like, what Pitocin looks and feels like, what an epidural looks and feels like, right? We have to talk about the environment. And then that helps adjust some expectations. 
And then we get the people saying, okay, maybe I don't, maybe I don't want to avoid the epidural. Maybe, maybe I'm open to it. Right. And I think that's the best place to be is just to be open to your options, but not open without the understanding of what that means and why it would or wouldn't be medically necessary for you. I think through the education, a lot of people find that flexibility. And because yeah. I think because that education provides you with um, dismantling a lot of that fear, right? You either choose the epidural because you're scared of the pain or you choose unmedicated because you're scared of the epidural. But through that education and that exploration of what those options actually look like, feel like, entail, um, you're going to, I think, become more comfortable with your options and understand yeah. that just like Pitocin, just like inductions, just like, um, you know, medical interventions, any, yeah, everything has a place and it comes down mm-hmm. to your recipe. What is right for you based mm-hmm. on the ingredients that you exactly. either have been dealt or have chosen? Right. I, yeah. That's a really good point that people who, yeah, they, they, the fear of the pain versus the fear of the epidural, which one is greater? Yeah. Right? And if they're, yep. if they're equal, then guess what? You're not going to know till you're in there. Yeah. Right. And see how it goes and communicate that to your nurse. You better not let that anesthesiologist clock out without telling me if I'm, you know, getting to that point. Right. What's your safe word? I tell everybody, you need a safe word. Right. How yeah. do we know you really want the medications or you you really do want this intervention versus you're just going through a contraction or transition? Yeah. Right. So understanding that goes back to just understanding birth, right? We've done a disservice as a society by sanitizing birth in mm-hmm. entertainment and in TV and in movies. Um, it wasn't until what was that Ricky Lake documentary where people were actually like, Oh yeah. <laughs> the, the business, business of being city. born. Right. Yeah. Right. And so, I mean, it, it goes back to just understanding that a lot of this is primitive, but hospitals, their goal is progress and evolution and industrialization and modern medicine, but that doesn't always do what, needs to be done to facilitate physiologic labor. Mm -hmm. So if your goal is physiologic labor and vaginal birth, that's something to really sit with and do your research on and talk to people who have either been in that space, um, people who work with people who have been in that space, people who have seen the outcomes from that particular facility, right? The doulas, um, the friends that have given birth there. Uh, So yeah, you'll, you'll start to you you see the patterns, right? Anybody who's new to birth work, you very quickly see the patterns yeah. when you start asking these questions and really digging into um, how somebody's birth went, especially if it was a little bit more traumatic in yeah. the hospital, at least. Yeah. And we didn't even mention, but the number one reason for a transfer from an out-of-hospital birth to a hospital birth, right? If somebody's low risk enough to qualify for an out-of-hospital birth with, say, a midwife, um, most people transfer to the hospital because they want the pain meds. Right. It's rarely um, there. Of course, there are medical emergencies, but majority of the time it's the pain meds. Yeah, people going in for that epidural because they want sleep or they need a break from the contractions um, or you've reached a place, you know, that you are experiencing dystocia that we can't get back on track. And we think maybe an epidural might be the best move because of that tension, everything that you've said about that pain, tension, fear cycle and, and breaking one, it now makes sense. Why sometimes if you are truly, truly experiencing a true dystocia where you meet the criteria, sometimes the epidural can be the answer there. Oh my gosh. Cute. This has been such an amazing conversation. Both of these episodes, I think, have been 
really, really pivotal, um, especially for me and, and for the way that I have, I, I've kind of thought about birth and now how I'll go forth thinking about it a little bit differently, mm-hmm. but also our listeners, I think there's a lot of people out there who are probably putting together the puzzle pieces of, wow, that's either what happened to me. And now I can kind of unravel my birth and I see where maybe things went wrong or yeah, wow, I've got a lot of work in this particular area that I should do in order to prepare for my birth. This is huge. Yeah. I I really, I hope it's my fear with doing any education or podcast is that I just, I know people, it's so easy to get overwhelmed, but I really do hope that, you know, listen to it in spurts if you need to like bit by bit, but reprioritize the list. That's the goal, right? Is you're figuring out your own recipe and you got to gather all the ingredients first before you figure that out. So don't feel like you have to decide everything right away. Talk to multiple people, right? Um, Ask questions little by little. Uh, But if you need help, I mean, that's, I mean, that's why seeing a therapist is really great during pregnancy, especially if they're heavy in the birth world. Um, like I am, then they might, they might know a thing or two about what to expect. And on the flip side, I do hope that anybody who is a provider, maybe either a pelvic health therapist, or I don't know, somebody who's in birth work as a nurse or a midwife, or even obstetrics that we, we think really carefully about how we're doing the education. Cause we've said a thousand times education, 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 but education without fear, mm. education without you know, negative, pessimistic language, mm-hmm. um, without patronizing people, without, you know, feeling threatened. Like there's a lot of ego in medicine. Yep. And I feel like that gets in the way of a lot of the positive things that come out of communication and education, because sometimes it's just them talking at you, not yep. to you. Um, so I said earlier, I wish people could advocate for themselves and be more, keen to reading between the lines when they're having these discussions with their providers and keeping the questions open-ended. But I also hope, I hope providers become a lot more careful in the words that they choose and the way that they choose to present the information regarding anything from Pitocin, um, even just calling it Pitocin, stop calling it oxytocin. Yeah. Like that psychologically is by design. So, you know, it makes a huge difference and, and it's, it's, it's a habit. It's a new habit to form, which I think is why a lot of providers are resistant to it, but we're not doing too great with our outcomes. So why are, why are we doing the same things over again that have clearly proven not to work? Like it just, you know, if, if you can believe it or not, the fear pain tension cycle was conceived in the 1920s. Right. And Bradley method and Lamaze were what the fifties, maybe sixties. So this is not new. Right. Um, But also when you think about when birth wasn't in the hospital to begin with, all these things that they're saying you need to do, right? The Bradley method, the Lamaze classes, Penny Simpkins stuff about preventing dystocia, all of that feeds back into what home births were, right? They were not medicalized unless they absolutely had to be. But when we remove birth from out of the hospital and put it in the hospital setting, then we start seeing these changes, right? And honestly, I'm trying not to go on a tangent, but we've seen the same thing with breastfeeding. Yeah. Right. It was breastfeeding indigenously, native practices, cultural practices, you know, like even during slavery, that was a huge thing. But then all of a sudden the shift from, oh, that's not, that's for poor people. That's for lower economic people. We can buy formula now. And this is even better. And there's nothing wrong with formula. But when the marketing language is, this is what's best, you 
you dichotomize two things that mm-hmm. were never against each other, right? Mm-hmm. And then now what is it? Well, no, formula is not actually that great, depending on the baby's digestion and blah, 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 blah. Breast is best. And we don't like that language either because that is best, right? So I like to think we can evolve, but you could see like the ping-ponging back and forth. I'm like, this isn't new. I didn't make this up. I don't own this information. Like whoever invented this whole process of giving birth knew what they were doing, clearly. But it's at odds with the development of modern medicine when we want to make everything efficient and faster and, you know, just less painful. No pain. We just want to get rid of the pain and make it fast and easy. That's such a, that's such a flawed way to look at birth. And yeah. by, it's, a, it's a false promise to people yeah. that that's what they can achieve in a hospital when you don't go through all these other things physiologically that are so easy to understand when somebody explains it to you because you've had experience before you've everybody's had a paper cut or a toothache or, you know, like hopefully nothing too serious, but you know, I, I I put all this information out there and I just hope people know how to apply it to their own situations and do something positive with it. So I hope it was worth the time, but I'm excited to see, um, the the final product and how people receive it. Yeah, absolutely. No, this has been super helpful. I think that, you know, a, Everyone has a responsibility to manage their own overwhelm. And I love how you say rearrange your pieces and then take it in digestible chunks. You don't have to do this all in one day. You have nine Mm -hmm. months to prepare for this baby. Use it intentionally. Use your time wise. Um, Make sure that you're doing the research. Don't overwhelm yourself because then you will get stuck in this cycle of not wanting to do it because it's overwhelming and then you'll be in birth and you will not be prepared. Right. So take it in in these small chunks, take some self-responsibility and do the work to have the birth that you want. Um, and I, you know, I love how we've given people the option to achieve whatever birth they want. And I agree with you. I don't care what you choose in terms of epidural or induction or spontaneously unmedicated or or home birth or person or hospital, whatever you choose. I care that you choose it confidently and you choose it feeling like it is truly the option that you want and not because someone has bullied or coerced you into that decision. That's the most important thing that we can give to women and people having babies in their labor experience. Exactly. Yeah. It's not a one size fits all. It's not. No, it never will be. It was never designed that way. Birth is it is right. your recipe. It really is. Yeah. Oh my yeah, gosh. Totally. Dr. Q, this has been fantastic. All right. I know that we gave people uh, a way to connect with you last week, but we didn't talk about your birth class. So how can people yeah. sign up for your birth class? And then if you'll just remind us again, where people can find you on social media. Yeah. I'm mostly on Instagram. I do have a TikTok. I'm not as consistent on there. Actually, I'm not even consistent on Instagram, whatever, but I'm on there. So uh, dpt is my handle. And then there's a link to my website there. And then I have a little section for my birth class that talks about what's entailed costs, all that. Mostly I offer them like about four times a year. Um, they, they're a hybrid, so they could be in person if somebody's local or remote, if um, they want to do it from somewhere not local. And I'm trying with all the free time I don't have, I'm trying to figure out how to digitize it so that people could do it at a self-paced rate. Um, but that, that is a comprehensive birth class that I created that goes over physiologic labor, that goes over pain, a lot of pain management, um, more about the science, less about the coping. The coping is the coping. Right? <laughs> like once you give people the examples, I'm like, do what works for you. Hire a doula, talk to a doula. Um, but the 
pushing, right? The positions, perineal massage, and what to expect in the event of a C-section and postpartum. So it's, it's super comprehensive in that we go through a little bit of pregnancy, depending on how far along they are. I don't spend too much time on, you know, the hormones during pregnancy and how to eat healthy during pregnancy that might like you're living it. So we might not have to focus on that if you're 34 weeks already, but um, the labor milestones, uh, the physiology of labor, the physiology of contractions, the pelvic floor anatomy, the alignment of the pelvis and how that affects positioning and um, progression of labor, how to reduce dystocia, and then all the interventions, monitoring, epidurals, opioids, Pitocin, and then the newborn care stuff, right? The eye ointment, the vitamin K injection, lots of stuff. So I try to I appreciate what you said earlier about how you feel that I do think I do present information in a way that's digestible because I, yeah, that was the goal. Like, let's make this as easy to understand as possible without making it, you know, inaccurate um, and still keeping it very based in evidence and reality of the birth industrial complex that is the hospital. Um, but with a pelvic floor therapy twist, because I spent a lot of time on posture, body mechanics, postpartum transition, and those milestones as well. There's a little bit on infant care too. Um, but on that note, I am trying to create, I've been asked before to create a provider version of my childbirth class. Nice. So I, I would say that that's close to 90% done in terms of presenting this type, exact type of information to other therapists, um, maybe chiropractors, just people who want to understand how to help their prenatal patients and clients better um, in terms of rearranging those pieces, right? So we keep talking about how it's a recipe or it's a puzzle, but what started out as, oh, I'm really scared of the pain and I, I'm, I'm really concerned about that and the tension in my pelvic floor. But then once they learn the breathing, the pushing, what to expect for an epidural, how to cope with pain, and like, actually, I'm more concerned about Pitocin. How do I avoid Pitocin? Mm -hmm. <laughs> right. Mm -hmm. So then we, we rearrange that. And so as a provider, knowing how to have those conversations without overwhelming somebody, what to prioritize, because for me, it's always symptoms first, right? Because I'm, I'm a therapist. And so we have to do that. Um, but how to sprinkle in the birth ed, how to sprinkle in the, the prenatal preparation without convoluting or contributing to even more stigma, right? Some people have these implicit biases where they're like, Oh, don't be a hero. Get the epidural. Mm. I loved mine. And I'm like, well, thank you. But it's not about you. But <laughs> why did goal. you love yours? <laughs> right. Yeah. But also why did you love yours? When did you get it? Did it work on both sides? Right. Yeah. Like, you, they're, they're, everybody's so different. So um, I am trying to create that eventually. So Nice. Oh my goodness. I've loved these last two episodes. They really have been so eye-opening. Um, and mm -hmm. I, I think our listeners will agree. So Dr. Q, thanks so, so much for being here with us. Thanks for having me twice. I had a lot of fun. Yeah. I hope this helps someone. Heck yeah. All right, guys. Right. Thanks so much for joining us today. I will see you guys next week. And until then, bye. Thank you so much for tuning in today. I truly do value this community and I love hanging out with you. If you found today's episode helpful, share it with a friend. Share it with someone who might also find this information helpful. I'd love to hear what you have to say and read your sweet words on iTunes. You can leave us a review and this helps get this information into the hands of parents who might also benefit from hearing it. If you're interested in joining The Birth Lounge, you can go to thebirthlounge.com. Our blog is linked there. 
You can find all sorts of free information as well as how to get your access to the birth lounge. You can always hang out with me on Instagram as well at Tranquility by Hehe. Until then, stay educated, stay supported, stay confident.